Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. You, you ready for a word? Yeah. I said, you ready? to? Be, can I preach this morning? Listen, what time's the game start? Does to me. <laughs> well, I, th- I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay, right? It starts late. So if you can't tell, uh, we're pretty excited about the Chiefs, Kansas, and Missouri. We're just pretty excited about it. But you got your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read five verses there out of Ephesians 1. If you really want uh, a real in-depth setup of the book of Ephesians, I set up uh, on Wednesday nights out of the chapel the first six verses. I taught about the first six verses of Ephesians 1. Ephesians is this great port city uh, that sits in the Mediterranean. It was a city that was filled with the worshiping of the occult. Diana was worshiped there. Anyway, Paul writes his letter back to the Ephesians, and in verse 15, therefore also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Wow! All of Paul's letters, most of Paul's letters, yeah, I won't say all, most of Paul's letters were written to a city to correct something. Go check me out. He wrote to the Romans, he wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote to the Galatians. He wrote places to correct them about something that was going on. But this letter to the Ephesians, he didn't write to correct anything. I I, I love this line, I've heard of your faith in Jesus. And I've heard of your love for one another. And I can't stop praying for you. This is a letter of, wow, I've heard of your faith in Jesus and I've heard how much you love one another. Wow. Here's my question this morning. What have they heard about your faith? What have they heard about your love for one another? See, in the last year or two, you heard a lot about what Christians are doing, what they were for, what they were against. But you didn't hear anything about their faith in Jesus. You didn't hear anything about their love for other people. You heard about what they were for. You heard about what they were for against. But you didn't hear anything about their faith in Jesus. In fact, you heard more about what they were afraid of if But Paul writes to him and says, your life is so inspiring to me. I've heard of how much you love each other and how much you trust Jesus. And he's remembering back to Acts chapter 19 when he visited Ephesus for the first time. He stepped into Ephesus and he recognized a group of believers there. There were people there that believed Jesus. And in verse 2, he asked this question. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? He steps into a Bible study and he goes, it's obvious that you've heard of Jesus, but there's something wrong with your spirit. Have you ever gotten around Christians and you knew they believed that when they died they were going to heaven, but there was something You're not questioning whether or not they know Jesus. You're asking them why there hasn't been some sort of spiritual change. And Paul steps right into these people who have heard and believed in Jesus. And he said, have you you ever heard about this spiritual thing? Did you know that about 80% of the church in America today is against any kind of a spiritual thing? They don't like us Pentecostals. They ain't for us. I mean, I, I go to church. I got a master's degree in church growth. And when I took the course, thank God I'd already been pastoring. They didn't know anything. 
but I got a master's in it, paid them $15,000 to get a master's degree in church growth. And they started saying, now you got to stop praying in tongues. And you certainly can't call people forward. They, in those days, they made me video the service and send them copies. And uh, some of you were here in, 19, or in 2020, and, and uh, they said, you got to stop all that. You got to stop all that because, see, uh, religious people are afraid of the move of the Spirit. Religious people don't like it when the Holy Spirit takes over because it might embarrass them. And we can only hope, right? Uh, and he said, have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? They, no, we haven't even heard about it. This is the city of Diana. The occult is going on. There's all kinds of, you know, weird, powerful things going on. And so he prays for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. They receive God the Spirit. And when they do, by verse 11, in 11 verses, he steps in, meets a Bible study, prays for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And in verse 11, it says, now God worked unusual and extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and all the evil spirits went out of them. In 11 verses. I'm just saying, in 11 verses, they didn't do a 12-week Bible study on how to be baptized. They, they didn't do, do you believe in... They, he just let the power of the Holy Ghost, and he began to work unusual. Say unusual. Say weird stuff. I mean, just stuff that the relation, uh, uh, rational world would go, that's nuts. Right? Just unusual. In fact, they got so weird about it, Mark, that they cut. I mean, could you imagine waking up in the morning and having holes in your robe? Oh, you're not looking. At, yeah. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you got to put on your blue jeans, and you didn't buy them that way, but there's a hole. In, I know some of you are wearing them that way. But... But Paul woke up in the morning, pulled his pants on, and someone had cut holes out of his clothes. And they'd take pieces of his clothes and they'd go lay it on sick people, and them sick people would just get well. And when they'd walk out of the bedroom, they'd say, how you feel? They'd say, well, I feel better. And they'd say, well, can I have my piece of back because there's somebody else I want to go. See, I grew up with two grandmothers that believed in stuff. I grew up with two grandmothers. One grandmother, my granddad just a drunk. And she'd take, and they'd, they'd both carry their hankies to the pastor, Brother Simmons, on Oak Street in Ponce City, Oklahoma. And they'd carry their hankies, and they'd have Brother Simmons pour oil on them, and they'd pray for them. And then Grandma Jessie would take that hanky, and she'd go back and put it under Grandpa Riley's pillow for years until one day he sobered up. Grandma Lottie, she was a lady. She'd take her claws and she'd crochet around the edge of them. She, she, they were real cute. And she'd take them and she'd save them. I'd say, Grandma, what you doing? She goes, well, somebody will need it. And she'd hear of a friend. I received a couple of them. She'd hear of a friend who was sick, Dale. And she'd write him a note. I'm praying for you and this cloth that's enclosed has, been, uh, enclosed has been anointed. And if you'll take that and lay that on your body. Amen. Some of you have grown up and never heard anything about this. And yet it's in the Bible. And my grandmothers in the 1960s lived it in Ponca City, Oklahoma. And I grew up expecting unusual miracles to take place. I expected God to manifest his power. And my grandmothers never debated with anybody. They weren't intelligent enough to debate with, well, don't you think? They didn't, they didn't care. If you said turn to here, they might go where? They weren't scholars. But they understand that with the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and by the time you get to verse 20 of Acts 19, it says, and the word of the Lord grew mightily, and it prevailed. And now Paul's been gone for years, and he says, I've heard of your faith in Jesus. He's been gone for years. I, I've heard how you love one another. 
And so it's time that the eyes of your understanding, and if you read that in the original language, it says the gates of light. It's time for the gates of light to illuminate everything there is about your calling, about your inheritance, and about the power of God that's working towards those of you who believe. You see, the power of God doesn't just get handed to people. The power of God works for people. But the power of God doesn't get handed to people until they have faith in Jesus and until they love each other. Because if people are not living in unity, if they're not living in love with one another, they'll use the power of God to hurt one another. I just don't understand why the power of God doesn't break out in America like it does in foreign countries. I can tell you why. Because you'd have the Pentecostals zapping the Baptist. And you'd have the Baptists zapping the Catholics. And you'd <laughs> calling down fire. Listen, the power of God can only be revealed in a community of people that love each other, that forgive each other, that are, why is America not seeing it? Because she hasn't been brought to the place where she was sick of division, sick of it, maybe. See, the virus has not been the issue. The virus is not the issue. What's the issue is the division. He said, oh, now that they love one another, open up the eyes of their understanding. Flood them with your light that they might know the exceeding greatness of a power. The power that caused Mary to conceive a child. The power to forgive sinners. The power to heal lepers. That power that stops storms. That power that feeds hungry people, that power that delivers people from the demonic, that power to become the children of the living God, the power that he shared with his disciples even prior to his death, burial, and resurrection, the power that raised Christ from the dead, that power, I want them to know that power, that power that I told them would come when the Holy Spirit came, that power that worked within the lives of the apostles in Acts chapter 4 as they spoke of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, and my speech and my preaching was without per per persuasive words so that you would not put your wisdom in men but in the demonstration of the... Look at your neighbor and say, we need the power. Oh, you, you, some of you go, well... You need power. You need power to forgive her. He needs power to forgive you. You need power to receive the favor of God. Or how about this? Paul writes to Timothy and he said, I have not given you a spirit of, say fear, but the spirit of, what spirit are you? People afraid of the virus and people afraid of the vaccine. Do whatever you want to do, but if you do it out of fear, you're not in faith. I don't care what you do. I have no dog in the hunt. You do what you boo. But if what you do is motivated by fear, that's not God. Am I making any sense? Don't come up to me and ask me what I'm doing. Listen, I'm doing what I'm doing. You do what you want to do. But can I tell you, it's the fear that's the problem. I was not given a spirit of fear. But the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. If I start doing what I really... Listen, do you know most mental illnesses are the result of demonic activity? Now I'm going to get psychologists that write me letters. But, but both, most mental illnesses have to do with demonic activity. But if I start saying that, I'll upset the entire world... So I, I actually operate in that. I just do it where you don't see it. Because it's too difficult to explain to intellectuals. But I have news for you. If we'd go ahead and give the devil credit for what he does and get rid of him, you'd have a whole lot more people that would be in a better place. And some of you just don't even want to hear that. But 
but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, that their eyes would understand this power that is towards us. Anybody in here believe in Jesus? Twelve. I'm serious. Raise your hand if you're not ashamed. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in him. I believe, believe he did what they say he did. Here's a question, though. How many believe what Jesus believed? Jesus believed in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. He believed in a God that's invisible, that is the parent of all things. Dale, he believed he was the Son of God. He knew who he was. He wasn't confused over who he was. He believed he was the Son of God. He believed in the Holy Spirit. In fact, he said, it's to your advantage if I go away and you receive the Holy Spirit. So he believed in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He, he believed in that reality. People ask me every once in a while why I do the creed. Because I want your children to know that I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in that. And while the whole church today in 2021 is concerned about, well, do they have a statement of faith? Do they have a statement of faith? I just believe what Jesus believed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's just what I believe. And once you believe in that, I want to give you one more. It says right there, he believes in the church. I believe in the holy, universal, I know some of you get all messed up here, so I'll just say Christian church. He believes in the church. You know what he's really saying? I believe in you. He believed in us. If you believe in Jesus, you got to believe in the human race. I believe in the human race. I believe in Sherry. I believe in Dale. I believe in Alan. I believe in you. I believe in Kent. Jesus believed in us. He believed even though we were different. Red, yellow, black, white. Gentiles, Samaritans. He believed in us. He didn't come just for the Jewish church. He came for us. He came for people that believe different things about politics than you do. He came for people that have different perceptions and ideas than you do. Listen, go look at the 12 disciples. They different. They always were arguing about who was the greatest. They could come to the father's house. They'd go to any house, right? Jesus believed in the human race. He believed in us so much that he went around forgiving us, healing us, feeding us, saving us, calling us one with him. I believe in what Jesus believes in. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the holy people of God. All of you. That's why I, I, I'm not, I can't get too involved with what all this stuff's going on because I just got to believe in you. That means there's more to you than meets the eye. They don't look at what I see on the outside. Sometimes I can't listen to what you say. <sighs> I'm serious because I believe there's a better you than the one you're showing. I mean this. I believe there's a better version of you. My, grand, my, my mom-in-law used to say, well, everybody deserves a bad day. And I, I can remember leaning on mom and say, how about a decade? <laughs> She'd grin. When you live 90, you got a little wisdom, you know. <laughs> I, I believe in how he told us to live. If you go read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see he says stuff like this, kindness triumphs over judgment. Well, we got to learn that, couldn't we? He, he says forgiveness is more powerful than vengeance. He, he says stuff like we ought to be pure and faithful in our sexuality. Can I just let that sit there for a minute? Pure and faithful in our sexuality. I, I think a lot of those conversations we're having about what's good sex and what's bad sex would just go away if we just talked about being pure. Could we just be pure? Faithful? 
Turning the other cheek. Now that's going to be hard for some of us. Just turn the other cheek. Loving and praying and blessing our enemies. He, He believes that we should be fasting and praying for God. Giving in secret. Seeking the kingdom of God and not the material things of this world. Seeking God radically through persistent prayer. And building our lives in such a way that observes these practices and these ideals. He believes we're to one one another, love one another. Hey, hey, listen, us, say us. He believes in us. He believes in us. He believes in the church. He believes in this group of people. And then he makes this statement, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Hell prevails anywhere the people are not one. A house divided. Different opinions. Different ideas. Different agendas. Today most people are looking to go to a church that is like them. Go ahead. There's no power there. There's only power in a room where we recognize there are diverse groups out here. Can I tell you, I've had dinner with most of you. You all different. You different from that one over there. You different from that one back there. Some of you are sitting home because you've read something somebody in here put on Facebook and you're going, well, I ain't like that. I know, but they ain't like you either. See, diversity is divine. We can be very different and yet we can be one. We can be very different And yet we can agree to love each other and realize that none of us have it all together. But we can agree to believe in this thing called the body of the living Christ. Karl Barth makes this statement, the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way that is full of promise. See, the only way the world can agree is if everybody has the same. No, the church is made up of all kinds of different people, but they're drawn together by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his grace. And it's radically different and it's full of promise. Sean touched my heart so powerfully a couple of weeks ago as he struggled to convey what was within his own heart. So I've given him a definition. The church... Is a, it's the next slide, guys. The church community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships, knotted together as a living network of persons who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. Relationships stupidly or stubbornly. Hank, he said stubbornly. I think it's stupidly. Stubborn, loyal relationships is made up of friends that will risk everything for you. Friends who will refresh you, friends who will encourage you, friends who will fight for you, and friends who will tell you the truth. Friends. See, I believe that the early church was what Christ left behind. People that were devoted to apostolic teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. I believe that it's God's heart that we might shift from dabbling in church to devoting ourselves to his kingdom in such a way that the world would be jarred out of its idolatry by the intensity of our communal passion. I believe today, today, in 2021, that what is necessary today is that we would live as those people whom Jesus believes in. He believes that we're the head, not the tail. Bless going in and bless going out. He believes that everything you put your hand to will prosper. He believes that you will do greater works than he did. He believes that all things will work together for your good. I literally believe that in the early testament, in my studies of those first three to four hundred years, that when people came to Christ, it was more than a decision to go to heaven. It was a decision to abandon the way the world lived. To abandon the way the Pharisees lived, the Romans lived, the Greeks lived. To abandon the way that the culture in which they were, were living. They were living this way, but to become a follower of Jesus is to begin to live an entirely different way. And the people that make up their minds to live in the Jesus way can expect the power of God to begin to operate in every area of their lives. 
the word that would show up to Amos, Jeremiah, and Hosea and say, go check me out. The word of the Lord would show up to the prophets and then say, what do you see? The word, the invisible God would show up and then say, what do you see? And then the word became flesh and began to speak to us and begin to show us who God is. Jesus, the word, he didn't ask us what we see. He began to say, watch what I'm doing. I'm forgiving sinners. I'm healing lepers. I'm feeding the 5,000. I'm, I'm, I'm stooping down into the lives of the marginally lost, rejected. I, I, I've come into this world, not just for Jews and Pharisees, but for Gentiles, for the outcast, the ones that others have. He came into this world and he said, my words are spirit in life. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I am the word that's sent to heal and to restore and to renew. He began to speak words and centurion servants begin to be healed. He said, if you build your house on this word, you'll, you'll live through the storms of life. He said, if you sow this word, there's a harvest there, but beware, the enemy comes to steal it. He said, my word is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. The prophet had said, as the rain and the snow come, so comes my word. The word of God is what will reveal the power of God in our lives. And in order for us to step out of the way of living this way and step into the way of Jesus, we have to become so familiar with the word that he has allowed his apostles to write something called the Bible, which is called the inspired word of God, filled with spirit. He's allowed prophets and apostles and prophets and evangelists to be present to you. He's allowed the Holy Spirit to be able to speak into your lives so that the Word of God could become so present to you that it would change you, Amen. transform you. Drugs won't do it. Sex won't do it. Another act of contrition won't do it. But if you expose yourself to the God who is the Word that created everything, sustains everything, and redeems everything, if you'll expose yourself in a devoted way, can I tell you something? The Word of God will change you and your life and everything around you. You'll find yourself so sunk down into the presence of God. Everybody says, I want the presence of God. He's in the book. He's in the air. He's in the song. He's in the bread. He's in the beauty of the sunrise. He's in the beauty of the sunset. He's in the face of the one sitting right beside you. But if you are unaware, you see, I believe we're in a season when God is making himself so present to us. And yet, it's not going to be because a rock falls out of the sky and goes, bam, I got it. It's not going to be that. You're not going to walk in here and someday they hit the right song and you got the right goosebump. Some of you are addicted to worship. You've never worshiped, but you're addicted to it. Worship has never been about you. We don't sing our songs for you. We sing them for Jesus. It ain't for you. We sing them to the Lord. He said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. The Bible says they went out preaching his word and he confirmed it with signs, wonders, and miracles. Then he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. And the next sentence says, abide in my love. You can never separate his word from his love. Amen. They're one and the same. So, I'm going to be redundant this morning. On December the 28th, we were not in the building, and so I preached a message. It's my Christmas message. And I gave you my 12-step program. I wrote this 27 years ago. I went back and looked to see the first time was I ever taught it. Everything has its 12-step program. Here's 12 steps to get you out of drugs and alcohol. Here's 12 steps to get you out of being too fat. Here's 12 steps out of how to get you unsexually addicted. Here's 12 steps how to... The only good thing about any of that is that it takes a process. It doesn't just happen. It's a process. And if you want to begin to live in the atmosphere where God's power is available to you, you're going to have to saturate yourself in the Word of God. And the Word of God is both written and present in the Spirit. It's both. 
And I, I would encourage you, some of you have gone through 12-step programs, and I've got a lot to learn from that. Uh, but I, I think what they tell you is tell you to work on step one first. Isn't that what they do? Work on step one? And then maybe work on step two. You don't work, generally you don't work on all 12 steps at the same time, is my point. You work on step one, step two, step three, and if you get stuck on this one, you stay with it a while. Right? How many want the power of God towards those who believe to manifest in their life? Well, then you're going to have to get in this program with me. And you're going to have to recognize that you've got to come out of the ways of the world because many of you have addictions to ideas that are not on the surface. You don't struggle with alcohol, but you struggle with being mean. You're just mean. And nobody likes me. I can tell you why. You're rude. I, 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 there, there are people that have addictions for a number of reasons. And so they're addicted to attitudes, and they, they make stuff up. They've told themselves certain stories. You know, he who helps himself, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's, it's interesting to me how many times people say stuff to me, and I go, that's not in the Bible. John's got a new cup. Have you seen his new cup? got the cup and the cup is a picture of Jesus and Jesus has got his head down like this and goes I did not say that (laughs) I love the cup go with me to Proverbs chapter 4 I've got 16 minutes Uh, Jesse did you get my little note okay Uh, so maybe you can share that with Kat I I tried to catch I I literally want to create uh, a booklet that takes each one of these 12 steps and breaks them out and gives you things to to do. But here we go. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Are you ready? My son, pay attention to what I say. Have you ever had to look at a four-year-old and go, pay attention? Have you ever had to look at a 24-year-old and say, pay attention? Have you ever had to look yourself and say, pay attention? The first step in beginning to operate in an atmosphere where the power of God will work in your life is you have to pay attention to what the Lord says. I have notebooks of things that I believe the Lord said to me, and I have to go back and read them. I I have prophecies that have been spoken over me. I have to go back and read them. I go back to read the Word. I try to meditate and let the Lord speak to me. He said, my son, you got to pay attention. uh, Anybody here ever serve in the military? When can you not pay attention? They do something like, I think I'm right. Come on, I never, anybody serve in the military? And they go, 10, hut! And you stand there until they say at ease. Am I right? If they don't say at ease, you stay at attention. That means you focus. You remain motionless, generally. You stay in a posture that is ready to receive a command. The first thing you have to do if you're going to move into the power of the Word of God is you have to pay attention to the Word of God. You have to begin, bring everything you are. I lead a little prayer group on the mornings, and we say this little thing, and I've had people say, why do we do that every morning? Because I'm trying to get your attention. Do you want the Lord, do you want to serve the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength? Answer that question. Are you just here so that your soul's here, or you bring your whole body? Right? I pray in the shower. No, you don't. You wash. <laughs> and that's, a, I pray in a car. No, you don't. You drive. That's called divided attention. He does not want your divided attention. He wants your undivided attention. He's a jealous God. I can do this all day. Well, but I don't have time. Turn the TV off earlier and get up earlier. Well, but you won't give us any excuse. No, I'm not going to give you any. Well, we got five kids. Uh Uh-huh. I know how you got them. (laughs) If you had time to get them, you better have time to pray for them. Because it's going to take more time to pray for them than it did to get them. (laughs) Some of you are going. (laughs) Pay attention. Look at your neighbor and say, pay attention. Delight yourself in the Lord. Whatever you pay attention to, you will become. You've got to pay attention to the Word. You've got to have this posture. Number two, incline your ear. Train your ear. The Bible says, lean not to your own understanding. Lean in. Have you ever had, listen, Annie and I are getting older and we both mumble. 
I think she's growing deaf. She thinks I need to speak up. <laughs> really, we both just think the other one ought to know what the other one's saying, so we're not saying it clearly, and we're going down the hall mumbling under our breath, and we, never mind. You need to incline, your, say lean in. Pay closer attention. Once you've worked on paying attention, then learn how to lean closer and hear specifically and clearly. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He who has ears, let him hear. Today it is fulfilled in your hearing. If you didn't hear it, you missed the fulfillment of it. You have to hear it. You have to hear it and you have to grab a hold of it. And that hearing brings you substance to hear it, to put it into practice, the Bible says. To hear it and begin to allow it to, to, to control what you do and when you do it. To hear it. See, the Bible says that there come a time when people have itching ears. Writes to Timothy, said, the people have itching ears. I've lived it this year. I lived it this year. People just already determine what they think and they'll find some preacher that'll tell them that. Doesn't come out of here comes out of having this itch to have someone confirm that what I think is true. Oh, well, notice how quiet it gets in here. You know how to avoid that? Spend your whole life in the Word so that when those silly things come up, you know that's a conspiracy because it doesn't line up with God. And I've watched it. Incline your ear to the Word. You ought to read this at least once a year. Listen, you don't have to have a lot of time to read it twice. And you're going, ah. it just takes one sitcom a day. It's one sitcom a day and you can read through it. I promise you. Uh, most women I know read more novels than this in a month. Say incline. Say lean in. Come a little closer, right? Pay attention. And then work on leaning in. Number three, do not let them out of your sight. See, when the words come to you, they create pictures. When words, listen, if you read this book, it'll create a picture in front of you. I can see the woman crawling through the dirt. I can see her. I can see him on the sea. I can see it. It creates a new way of looking at life. I let the words create pictures. And I see it. And I just, I just sit and stare at it sometimes. And just let that word become more real than the world around me. Let what I see through the word in the spirit become more predominant than what I was watching on my body. Listen, I watched my body begin to ooze, create. Ugh. I got so tickled last week when Brad came up, prayed for me. Pete came right up behind him and went, bam! And I went, Some of you are thinking I've been social distancing because I didn't want to breathe on you. No, I didn't want you to touch me. <laughs> See, when you stay in the Word, it'll create pictures in your mind that are more real than what you're seeing in the flesh. Number four, keep them in the midst of your heart. Keep them in the center of your heart. Put them right down in here to where they are the priority. They are the center. You can't allow your word I hide in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I have to put them in my heart, hold them in my heart. Sometimes I do that by the gestures I make. Oh, hallelujah. That helps me to hold that. That helps me to hold it. I get on my knees because when I do, it makes me think about holding that word in my heart. Kneel beside my bed. Lay down prostate on the floor because I'm trying to tell my heart, we have to keep the word center place. Amen. I have to keep the word anchored right in my heart. So I do numbers of things. I come to church. Oh, don't get me off on that. I'll get in trouble again. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe. Can I tell you that letting your heart be troubled is a choice? You can choose to worry today or you can choose to worship. It's your choice. I'm going to keep that word in me regardless what others do. I'm going to swear to my own hurt and not change. I'm a word person. Number five, right? Am I on five? They are life. Say with me, the word is my life. 
Not my motorcycle. Not the chiefs. His word is my life. If it wasn't for the word of God, I have no life. You can't dabble in it. It's life. There's spirit in their life. I can't live by bread alone, but by every word. As a man thinks in his heart. What's my heart thinking? It's thinking about the word. Those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Listen, what comes on doesn't defile. What comes out does. I got to put, if you put garbage in, garbage comes out. Verse 6, they are health. The word of God is my health. I'm going to give you a prescription. Go look up every verse that pertains to your health. I have. I have people all the time. Well, can you give that to me? It's in your book. It's in your book. You go through it and highlight it. Can I, I'll give you a shortcut. You can go on Google, and you can Google a Bible, and you can Google health, and it'll tell you every word, place where the word health is in there. And if you can't take 10 minutes to go on your computer and Google health and find it for yourself, no, I ain't doing it for you. I want to live a healthy life. I can remember, how old is Ashley? 35. Wow, you were old. Uh, 35. She was three. We lived on 8th Street. She had these ear infections where green stuff ran down her ears. And the hospital would not see us. I can remember begging them to take her in the ER. And they would not tell me about health care. They wouldn't. Turn me away three times. Went back to 8th Street. That baby's ears, I mean, cry, cry. I'd walk the floor. Annie'd hold her. She'd walk the floor. I'm up about, and, and, and I'm looking at Ashley. She's just barely talking. And I said, baby, by his stripes you're healed. And she'd say, by his stripes I'm healed. I'd say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that three-year-old would lay in my arms and stuff. And she'd say, by his stripes, Daddy. And I'd say, by his stripes, baby. And she'd say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We walked the floor for hours, hours, all night. And I remember waking up. I'd fallen asleep, and that baby was laying in a... And I looked, and this of blood had rolled out of that ear. And she turned the other way and had done the same thing. It's his word. I had someone tell me the day, well, when I pray for people, I'm really going to pray. Honey, I don't care how long, how loud you pray. Because how long and how loud you pray has nothing to do with the power that's there. I'm so tired of people telling me, well, if I'm going to pray, you just got to give me time. Huh, if it takes you that long, move on. Because that ain't about the person you're praying for. That's about the way you feel when you pray. And I think it's great. Go stand in the corner. I had this guy one time, we'd do prayer lines, and he'd pray for two people. Well, I'd prayed for 45. And he goes, well, I'm really praying. I said, what am I doing, eating peanut butter? <laughs> he'd get so tickled about it, he was up here jerking. I said, man, you need to go enjoy yourself in the corner. we got to pray for this person. Are you listening to me? I'm talking about the power of Pentecost and the power of the Holy Ghost, but I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm old enough to get away with this now. Say it's health. Let me give you a prescription in the middle of a virus. Go find every verse there is about health. Tape it on your, on your mirror when you get up. Put your whatever and, and, and read every one of them. Every one of them. Every one of them. Write them down on your arm if you have to. Tattoo them on your chest. I don't care. But put it there. This is step number. That was step six. Okay. So this is step seven. Okay, that's six, that's seven. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it. Out of it. Or, or this version says, guard your heart out of it. Out of it. It comes out, out of the abundance. What's coming out of you? What's coming out of you? Not just when I'm there, but on the phone when you're. What comes out of you? See, work on what comes out, because what comes out reveals what you put in. I love what Paul writes to the Philippians. Be anxious for nothing but in everything prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God would pass us all understanding will guard your hearts. Timothy, guard what's entrusted to you. Protect it. Put a hedge around it. Keep it. Where am I at? Verse, I don't know, with number eight? Number eight. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Does anybody know what perverse means? Perverse. Perverse isn't just you said a bad cuss word or a dirty four-letter word. Perversion is when you speak something that misrepresents something. When you pervert it, you twist it. You, you don't, you don't it's, there might be some truth in it, but you twist it. It's a half thing. Mm-hmm. That's perverted. Let no perverse thing, it is important that when people walk away from you, it's very clear they understand what you mean specifically. I had to learn this the hard way. I'd have people come back to me and say, well, pastor, da, da, da. or I'd hear people come back and say, well, pastor told me. That is not what I said to you. It's funny. I, I love what people, I heard him say this in sermon. I did. You missed the other parts. You didn't get it in the context of the whole thing. It's funny. You heard what you wanted to hear, right? Just because I'm being compassionate to you going, oh, that does not mean I approve. Have you ever made that mistake with your kids? You just didn't flat say that was stupid. You just kind of stood there. There's a, let me tell you, the younger your children are, let your no be no. Just let your no be no. Don't give an explanation. The more immature people are, the less explanation you can give. If people are mature, you can give more explanation. But the less immature they are, you just have to say no or yes. Because there's, there's little way to mess up what you said. The minute you start trying to explain it, put away. Work on it. Work on letting no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Life and death are on the power of the tongue. Your heart should overflow with a good theme. The enemy is always trying to get to something going on. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that's how you save. Have a good confession. That's how you continue. The Bible says whatsoever we say we will have. Number nine, let your eyes look straight ahead. Say straight ahead. It's 12 o'clock, five minutes. Five minutes, okay? The game doesn't start at 1230, I promise. I looked. Say straight ahead. First time the Lord ever used me in a healing way. Very first time. We were young. We were going to church, small church. Everybody knew everybody. And we had a friend, a couple friend of ours, and they were standing down here, and I went up front. And the minute I laid my hands on our friend, I could see stuff. Stuff you, you don't want to see, right? It's like, I thought I was sinning. I thought, my God, I'm, I'm lusting. I could see stuff. I put my hand off, went back, sat down, bam. And the old Brother Crane looked at me and said, son, what'd you see? I said, I don't know. So he said, okay, tomorrow you come to the house. So I went to the house the next day. I told him, I said, well, Brother Crane. He goes, listen, when you begin to see, you're going to see everything. He said, you're going to see everything. And he said, because the enemy wants to distract you with all that stuff so that you miss what God's trying to show you. Can I tell you something that I see happen when God's trying to work with seers, particularly in the area of healing, is they get distracted by this stuff, and so they stop and look at that and go, oh my God. So the next night of the revival, I went back up, laid my hands on my friend, I could see all that stuff, but it was like, it was like a microscope. It was like a colostomy scope, you know. <laughs> you preach, you come up with your own metaphor. <laughs> but if you've ever had one of them, they show you pictures, it's like... And that's what it was like. It was like an eight millimeter, and it went, and I could see a cyst. And I spoke to that cyst. And I watched that cyst go, and dissipate. And I leaned up to my friend, and I said, "Uh, I see a cyst. She started crying. I see a cyst, and I said, but the Lord says, don't worry about it, it's going to explode and pass. And I turned around and went back and sat down. Three o'clock that morning, 
sometime, phone rings. <laughs> it had happened. The powerful thing about it was they hadn't told very many people. The doctor had just told them. But See, until you can learn to keep your eyes straight ahead, he cannot trust you with that power. Many of you want that power, but he can't trust you with it until you're able to pass through other things that can be shocking. You have to give grace to the stuff you see in people's lives so that you can get to the thing that God's trying to heal. The reason why there's not a lot of power in the American church today is because we're too judgmental, too critical, too condemning. And can I tell you, if people ever experience the power of God in healing, their hearts will soften. Why are you teaching this, Pastor? This church is going to operate in the power of God because we have faith in Jesus and we have love for one another. Am I making any sense? And we're going to do that not just because I say it, but because you are going to pick up some of these processes you're going to be to work on them. For some of you, you already know the one you need to go to and work on. I need to work on step four. Some of you need to go back and work on step, right? Some of you just need to start at the beginning. You're in a world of trouble. You <laughs> Number nine, keep your eyes straight ahead. I'm ready for 10, aren't I? I'll go real fast. Eyelids, 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 eyelids. What are you watching right before you go to sleep? Did you watch all the news? Then that's the dream that you'll have. Number 11, Ponder, say meditate. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of the sinners, but his delight is in the Lord. He meditates on the Word of God. It takes time. Number 12, uh, do not turn. Stay focused. Stay focused. Stay focused. Say with me, I want the power of God to operate in my life. Therefore, I'm going to step into a program. I'm going to work on these things. I'm going to step out of the world and step into the ways of God. And my pastor told me it's all about the Word. I didn't tell you it's about joining anything I did. I told you it's about the Word. It's in your lap. In fact, He's in your spirit. Amen? Did you... Am I making any church? I love you. I'm your pastor. I'm trying to get you to come a little deeper. I'm not trying to preach three points motivate you. I'm trying to get you to grow in your faith, right? Take one point. Some of you are going, oh my God. Pick one. Proverbs chapter 4. Just pick one. Work on that one. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed what happens. If you're married, both of you pick the same one. It's amazing. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Time.